Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, September 8th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. For years in the book business, Andrew, flat is the new up was a reassuring refrain over lukewarm sales. Earlier this year, though, you noted that in 2023, flat sales could be the new down. This week, we have more evidence of that. Yeah, so you're right. It's been a publishing industry truth for years that, you know, modest growth or even no growth was just sort of where the publishing industry sits, right? We're a mature business uh, with a product that faces some degree of consumer price pressure, right? Because not a lot of people can afford to buy a lot of $40 hardcovers. And, of course, you have all the production and shipping challenges that come with books. So, you know, we were pretty content when we had flat sales and earnings. After the pandemic, though, you know, we're starting to see sales deflate. Remember, we had record sales for the last two years. But more notably, what we're now seeing through the first six months of 2023 is that you know, the supply chain issues and price inflation and other things are having real consequences on publishers' bottom lines. As my boss, Jim Milliott, reports this week, industry sales have generally been flat uh, in the first six months of the year, but higher costs are really denting profit margins. Uh, at the end of last month, Penguin Random House reported its first half results and actually showed a pretty healthy sales bump, up about 9.5%, but profits were up less than 1%. Uh, No surprise that was attributed to inflationary cost pressures and increased costs across the industry. HarperCollins CEO Brian Murray noted earlier this year that in addition to higher higher manufacturing, freight, and distribution costs, the industry is also facing what he called macroeconomic headwinds uh, on par with the headwinds that we saw with the Great Recession of 2008. Indeed, both of those houses, HarperCollins and Penguin Random House, have instituted painful layoffs as a result of these rising costs. And it's a real head-snapping result going from record sales to staff cuts inside of a year. Profits at Hachette, uh, at least I should say Hachette parent company Lagadere, fell almost 20% despite a 2.5% increase in sales for the first half of this year. And of course, you know, Hachette here also had buyouts and there's been some other efficiencies that they've uh, implemented to sort of offset some of that impact, but still not where you want to be in the first six months of this year. Only Simon & Schuster of the Big Five publishers managed to avoid job cuts, with sales in the first half of 2023 up 7.8% and operating income up almost 15%, this coming on the heels of a record 2022. And I think we can all say thank you, Colleen Hoover, uh, for those numbers, though that's not the only factor. Of course, there's been great audio sales at Simon & Schuster. There's been a number of things that have performed well. Anyway, you can read the article on the PW site. We're into September now, which is the kickoff of the industry's biggest selling season. And while most publishers tell us that they expect sales to stay fairly stable, I think the earnings numbers are really going to be something to watch as we close out this year. Now, most of the major publishing CEOs think that after what was a very difficult year last year, the industry is starting to find its equilibrium again, right? These supply chain issues are being better managed and costs are showing signs of coming down. 
but we're going to have to see, right? There are so many factors. There's the macroeconomic factors that Brian Murray mentioned, and then there's social factors like people having less reading time and returning to the office. And while I'd like to think that we made some new readers or won back some lapsed readers during the pandemic, it's really hard to know right now if indeed that has happened. Uh, the good news is there are some really big new titles coming out this fall. Uh, so how, how those titles perform when they begin rolling out, I think is going to be a good barometer of where things stand are going to finish for the end of this year and what they're going to look like in 2024. So stay tuned. Late last week, a federal judge issued a preliminary injunction blocking HB 900, the controversial new book rating law in Texas from taking effect. As of this recording, though, exactly what the court has ruled remains unclear because a written opinion and order haven't been published. Yeah, so we expected a decision to come while we were off for Labor Day weekend, and we got it, and wow, was it dramatic, and right down to the wire. Uh, you know, just to back up a little bit here, our listeners will recall that the law in question here in Texas, HB 900, is one of the most closely watched book banning bills passed in state legislatures in the last year, like the law in neighboring Arkansas that was struck down in July. But this bill in Texas really had publishers on edge, even more so than the bill in Arkansas, because it really put them right in the middle of the action. Under HB 900 in Texas, which was signed by Governor Greg Abbott on June 12th, book vendors would be forced to review and rate books for sexual content under a vaguely articulated standard. This is a condition of doing business with Texas public schools, which, as you might imagine, is a really large market. Now, books deemed sexually explicit would be banned from Texas schools entirely. So a lot of lost sales there. And while books rated sexually relevant, though it's not exactly clear what that would be, would require students to get written parental permission to access them. And in a July 25th lawsuit seeking to block this law, the plaintiffs, which include two Texas bookstores, uh, Austin's Book People and Houston's Blue Willow Bookshop, along with the American Booksellers Association, the Association of American Publishers, the Authors Guild, and the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, argued that this law represents an unconstitutional restraint on the freedom to read and an untenable burden on booksellers to go back and rate for, under these vague standards, all of these books, not only the books that are coming out or will be sold, but the books that they've already sold into public schools. And there really was some urgency to this because this law was set to take effect on September 1. Well, to get to the drama, there were actually two hearings in August uh, in Austin, the first on August 18th, at which the judge in the case, Alan D. Albright, appeared really skeptical of the law, right? Really skeptical of the state's position. And then there was a second hearing on August 28th, at which the judge appeared to be more critical of the plaintiffs in this case and really questioning whether or not they had the right to bring this suit. And then on August 31st, right before, 24 hours before this law was set to go into effect, there was a very short status conference called at which Judge Albright told the parties that he was going to deny the state's bid to dismiss the plaintiff's lawsuit and that he would be issuing a preliminary injunction blocking the law in its entirety. And this is a key point here, blocking the law in its entirety from taking effect. That conference was over in about six or seven minutes, I think. And, you know, plaintiffs and freedom to read advocates were thrilled with the outcome. The state, not so much. They vowed to appeal. But as you know, everything has sort of been tempered a bit by the fact that, you know, we're still waiting on a written opinion in order, which could come at any minute, could be out right now while we're talking. But for now, I think the headline is that the controversial book writing law in Texas that was set to go in effect on September 1 
is blocked, and we're still on the lookout for written opinion as to exactly why. And earlier this week, Andrew, you also reported on an effort to seek a stay on the court's preliminary injunction, one that would allow the law or parts of it to go into effect. Is there any chance of success with that? So yes and no. No, no, because the state moved orally during that very brief August 31st status conference for the judge to stay the injunction pending an appeal before the Fifth Circuit. The court denied that, you know, from the bench. So I don't see any chance of the state giving a successful stay here to stop this preliminary injunction from going into effect. You know, and first and foremost, because the state in its you know, motion to dismiss actually argued that the law's requirements really don't hit until April of next year when the first list of book ratings from vendors is due. Um, now, of course, those ratings don't get done overnight. So as the plaintiffs have argued, you know, we're, people were going to get to work on those lists or we're already at work on compiling those lists at, at great cost and great effort. Uh, but the state was clear that, look, there can't be any real harm here because the requirements don't really begin until April. So it would be really hard for the state to come back and say this injunction could be stayed because it will cause immediate harm, while at the same time having argued that there's no harm and the law really doesn't kick in until April. So that's, I think, pretty much a bygone conclusion. That stay, The stay on those grounds has little chance of succeeding. In their written filing on September 1st, however, the state does make an argument that I do think carries some weight, and that's that there are parts of HB 900 that have little to do with the plaintiff's claims, including provisions providing for state agencies in Texas to collaborate on coming up with new library collection standards for Texas school districts, which the law requires to be delivered by January 1st of 2024. Now, I'll note that the Texas Library Association, which has done its best to stay, keep its head down throughout this, I think it's fair to say that librarians in Texas are not a fan of this law and did not want to see it go forward. But officially, the TLA was neutral on it. And the reason why they were neutral on it, aside from the political reasons, of course, is because there's, you know, TLA officials told me there potentially is some value in having various agencies in the state come up with library collection standards for public schools. The devil, of course, being in the details as to what those standards would look like. But nevertheless, it could be a useful exercise. So TLA was actually neutral on that part of it. So it's going to be interesting to see when the final injunction is issued, whether Albright does indeed block the entire law, as he said he intended to do, and of course on what grounds, or whether he blocks parts of the law that pertain directly to the plaintiff's claims or comes up with some other solution here. Maybe he issues an injunction blocking the entire law and stays a piece of it. Who knows? But whatever happens here, I think the headline remains that the book rating part of this law, the part that the, the plaintiffs in the case were most concerned about, has hit the wall in court. And when you take the Arkansas decision that came out, you know, just a month earlier, and with another earlier decision about putting library books back on shelves in Lino County, I would also point out the trend here that there really is a, a legal firewall emerging, you know, that's, you know, protecting the freedom to read that, that a firewall, at least is being reinforced in federal court. The first Monday in September is Labor Day in the U.S., honoring the American labor movement and the American worker. In Portland, Oregon, employees at Powell's Books mark the occasion with a one day strike. Yeah, that's right. Hundreds of employees at the various locations of Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon, staged a one-day strike on Labor Day to protest stalled negotiations between the union, which has represented Powell's staff since 2000, and management. The union's contract actually ran out on June 7th, and negotiations have stalled to the point that 
you know, last week the union filed a claim of unfair labor practices with the National Labor Relations Board. And, you know, this these negotiations is a story that's been going on for some time now, but I really think it's important to acknowledge uh, not only this strike, but others, because in the wake of the pandemic, I think we're seeing a long overdue, well, more generally, a long overdue resurgence of the power of labor across the board. Labor is on the move, right? I've heard that phrase uttered more than a few times in recent weeks. And in the publishing and book selling industries where low pay and long hours have long been the norm, I think we're also starting to see a greater level of action and organization. You know, as we discussed at the top of the podcast, after finding a way to deliver record profits during the pandemic, publishing workers now find themselves being laid off or left behind in this emerging post-pandemic era. And look, we talked about and praised essential workers in 2021 and 2022 as well. We talked about the work they did during the pandemic. And I just it feels to me like there's a long overdue reckoning in the works for publishing and book selling and book, publishing workers and booksellers. And one that might require some pain and some sacrifice and some coming together to find some common solutions here. Anyway, I think that this is a story to watch. Uh, I think what happens in Portland could yield some important indicators about where we're going with this. But I think fundamental changes are needed. So once again, stay tuned. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor. Thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on the program, in May, MIT Press announced receipt of $10 million from the UK-based Arcadia Fund to advance its open access publishing objectives. Amy Brand, director and publisher of the MIT Press, tells me more. Of course, we're really honored by Arcadia and excited uh, to have this commitment. Uh, I should clarify up front that it's, it's actually an endowment, right? So it's not an outright grant in the sense that what we will be using and, and the main reason we're using it is to accelerate our capacity to experiment with different types of open models is the interest from that investment. At present, there also are some instances in which we will be using the funds to uh, you know, support or, or backstop other transitional models that are in process, but we're always thinking ahead to uh, new sustainable open publishing models for books and journals. MIT Press experiments with $10 million from the Arcadia Fund, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.